0: Hey there, filled with messages, friends. Thanks for joining me. I'm Ruth Farrell, and amongst other things, I'm the lead pastor at St. Peter United Church of Christ in Lake Zurich, Illinois. Save yourself some money, boil some water at home, said a reviewer of Yellowstone's Old Faithful. When I was eight, I witnessed Old Faithful in action, and even now, 35 years later, I can still remember the incredible sight. There is just no comparison between a geyser and boiling water at home. Apparently, I'm not the only one who thinks so. Over 4 million people visit Yellowstone each year. Old Faithful is one of the most popular attractions, and it's such an impressive site that it has its own continuous live stream. Yellowstone has just about 500 geysers, over half of all the geysers in the world, and almost 10,000 additional thermal features. This makes it the Earth's largest active geyser field. All these hot springs and geysers are created by a supervolcano, a volcano capable of an eruption of more than 240 cubic miles of magma. Yellowstone has had two of these mega eruptions in its history. The most recent was about 70,000 years ago. But don't worry, volcanologists don't think it's likely to erupt again anytime soon. Fingers crossed. While it's difficult to predict when most, most volcanoes and geysers will erupt, Old Faithful is very true to its moniker. Each day, a team of six park rangers tweet, or whatever you do now that Twitter is no longer Twitter, its schedule plus or minus 10 minutes. In the last 30 years, it has only lengthened the time between its eruptions by 30 minutes. Old Faithful's faithfulness is so surprising that some Yellowstone visitors have asked the rangers, where do you turn off the geysers? Can you imagine being the park ranger fielding that question? I mean, how do you keep a straight face while answering? I don't think I could. Humans need old faithful in their lives. We need people on whom we can rely for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. Faithfulness, be that in marriage or any other type of relationship, builds and maintains trust, connection, resiliency, stick hope, kindness, grace... It has even been shown to have physical health benefits. Throughout scripture, God is described as the ultimate example of faithfulness. No matter what a human or group of humans does, no matter how far they wander from God, no matter what choices they make, God is faithful to people. But there are seasons of our lives when it feels like God is not faithful to us. When we are going through a time of suffering, it can seem as though God has at best lost interest in us and at worst is actively working against us. Our scripture reading today comes from a book of the Bible that seeks to describe the pain we feel when it seems as though God has been unfaithful to us. Hear these words from Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, minds, and bodies to receive your good news for us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Lamentations is the plural of the word lament. It's not one many of us use on a regular basis. To lament is to passionately express grief or sorrow. The idea of lamenting seems pretty awful to most Americans, and perhaps especially to many American Christians. We're constantly told, implicitly and explicitly, that we need to put on a happy face. When we see others publicly lament, it makes us uncomfortable, so we internalize the belief that we shouldn't publicly express our grief, at least not outside a funeral parlor, and even there our grief should be measured. In Christian context, we're often fed a steady diet of platitudes such as God won't give you more than you can handle, which is A, baloney, and B, encourage us as to stuff our grief, amongst other feelings, down as far as we can. Unfelt grief and other unfelt feelings cause us harm. The grief comes out sideways later. Unfelt, uncomfortable feelings come out at the ones we love and trust the most. They often are experienced in our bodies as aches and pains and illness. We have to learn to feel our feelings. To be sure, this doesn't mean we need to feel our feelings at the very moment we have them. Sometimes it's important to note the feeling, set it aside for the moment, deal with the situation in hand, and then go back to sit with the emotion later on. It's also important to acknowledge that allowing our feelings be the only thing that leads us isn't necessarily wise. That's not to say we need to let our thoughts or bodies be the primary driver of us, either. We need to consider what our entire being is telling us. God made us to be very complex beings with thoughts, feelings, intuition. When we prioritize one aspect of ourselves over the others, we are not tapping into all the important information God imbued in us to help us navigate the oftentimes complicated and tricky thing that is the human experience. Lamenting is important. It's vital to our well-being. It allows us to be honest. It creates a space for our pain. It empowers us to say that sometimes life is awful and sometimes it feels like God is either ignoring our suffering or worse yet, it feels like God is behind our suffering. The Hebrew name for the book of Lamentations is How? H-O-W question mark. The author, possibly the prophet Jeremiah, of the five poem prayers that make up the book asks over and over again how God could have allowed the disasters that had taken place in Jerusalem. The book contains several alphabetic acrostics. Each verse of chapters 1, 2, and 4 starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The first word of verse 1 starts with the letter Aleph. The first word of verse 2 starts with a Bet. First word of verse 3 starts with a gimel, dalet, hey, vav, so on and so forth through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Don't worry, I'll now take off my Bible Bible geek hat and replace it with my pastor cap. But sometimes the Bible's details are just too cool not to share. In 586 BCE, Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians. Most residents were captured and sent into exile. Those who were left behind were not strong enough and did not have enough resources to create something new out of what remained. They experienced unimaginable trauma in every facet of life. The destruction of Jerusalem ended the Israelites' time as a people group in the Promised Land, that place to which God had led them and given them after they escaped their enslavement in Egypt. They were devastated by the loss of their capital city. They believed God had promised them this land They believed God had said it would be theirs in perpetuity, but now there was nothing left. How were they supposed to understand what had happened to them? How were they supposed to believe God was still faithful to them? How were they supposed to keep trusting God when it seemed like all God's promises had failed? The author of Lamentations does not hold back when they ask God how God could have allowed the disasters they experienced. They make all sorts of serious accusations against God. In the first half of chapter three alone, the author says that God has afflicted them, driven them away, forced them to walk through darkness, turned his hand against them, caused their skin and flesh to grow old and bones to be broken, besieged them with bitterness and hardship, made it impossible for them to escape, weighed them down with chains, shut his ears to their prayers, made their paths crooked. This was a particularly big deal as the Bible talks a lot about the importance of keeping straight paths. Remember, all these things are accusations lobbed against God. And the author continues, God has mangled them, is of no help to them, targets them, makes them a laughingstock, breaks their teeth, tramples them, and deprives them of peace. What a list. It's hard to read all those accusations and realize they are made against God. Perhaps you feel like you could never make a list so blunt or ragey. Perhaps you worry that if you lob charges against God in this way, that the lightning bolts would hit you in the next moment. The author of Lamentations is not unique in the Bible and their railing at God. Job and the psalmist, amongst many other biblical books and characters, don't hold back their feelings from God. They tell God exactly how it feels when they are suffering, and also when they're experiencing more socially acceptable feelings too, but that's another sermon for another day. Not only do they tell God exactly how they're feeling, they don't get in trouble for it. God wants to know where we're at. God wants to hear what's on our hearts. Being able to share honestly with each other is a hallmark of a healthy relationship. Suddenly, seemingly almost out of nowhere, the author of Lamentations changes tone. I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them And my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. While allowing themselves to feel their feelings, the author of Lamentations also remembers to engage their brain as well. We are not just our feelings or our thoughts or our bodies, we are whole people. The author of Lamentations digs deep and brings their thoughts online so they can be part of this conversation with God too. What is it that the author calls to mind, though? What is it that gives them hope in the midst of such darkness and despair? Because of the Lord's chesed, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Hebrew word chesed doesn't have a direct English equivalent. It's often translated as love or loving kindness. But to those ideas, you need to add loyalty, grace, mercy, and faithfulness to come close to understanding. Chesed is the core of who God is and the core of the way God relates to us. It's what motivates God. It's what assures us that God will always be faithful to us and that we can wait on him and his infuriating timing even when we can barely muster hope. God's chesed is the cornerstone of our faith. Just in case the author of Lamentations' ability to suddenly find reasons to hope in God in the midst of their great despair strikes you as, let's say, a little too easy, a little too religious, a few verses later, they are back at their accusations. They are back at discussing how awful life is and how it feels like God isn't very interested in helping Calling to mind God's faithfulness is not a panacea. does not make everything better. doesn't mean that our suffering is any less. It doesn't resolve our problems. As one commentator acknowledged, it's a part of our faith, but it's not the only element of our faith. Calling to mind God's faithfulness gives us space to breathe in the midst of the suffering. It gives us a moment of hope that helps us slog through the despair. It reminds us of our own resiliency and ability to do hard things. Great is God's faithfulness to us. Even when it seems like God has failed us, morning by morning new mercies we can look for. And even when we can't see them, we can bring to mind mercies from the past. Remembering God's faithful love helps us keep trusting God, even in the midst of great pain. Thanks so much for joining me today, friends. Grace and peace to you as you go along your way. Take good care.